Welcome back to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Once again, I'm, I'm thrilled to have my good friend Bill Alderman with me. Bill is a, a sell-side investment banker. Uh, he's one of the best in the business. He's up in Connecticut. Uh, Thanks, he's Rick. the president and CEO of Alderman & Company. And we're going to talk M&A today. Bill, what's yeah. happening in Connecticut? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend. All the best to you and your family. And remember, if you drive, be really careful because it's more dangerous than flying. There you go. Everybody needs a Cirrus. Um, look, the stats. I was talking with one of my team today, right? The, the, the sadly, uh, I think the uh, uh, AAA or somebody was saying that they think that as many as 500 people could die in traffic fatalities over this four or five day holiday weekend, right? I believe it. It's just, right. How many people are forecast by the DOT to die in plane crashes over uh, the holiday weekend? Very few, but but Zero. but but, but but then it all depends too. It's not, but then it all depends too. You you could you you could you know all the cancellations that are probably about ready to start to happen and no, the I, airlines I, and I, things I, like that. I'm empathetic to traveling is tough these times, but I'm just saying that actually when people say they're afraid of flying, I'm empathetic. But yep. statistically speaking, getting in your car, yep. I mean seriously, stats, just pure stats. Mm -hmm. Getting in your car and driving somewhere versus getting on a major carrier in the United States and flying to your destination, yep. flying is actually a lot safer. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, it, it blows me away. Yeah, think about the safety of the industry. You know, no commercial. We have in the United States. There's not been a commercial. I think we had one in the past three years, right? One, Something and that was a Southwest. Like that. that was the lady on Southwest, which was Tragic. just such Tragic. a such a, a an anomaly, you know, and uh, uncontained failure, right? Which is so yeah. rare. And right. you think about, but you think about the safety record that the airlines have driven. I know the United States. It, it is a testament to what can be done. Well, and you and I are both pilots, right? And we yeah. both know that when you're flying to minimums on a tough night, okay, it's not easy. Right? right. It's not easy. And so repeatedly, you've got these men and women, right, that are repeatedly flying through bad weather late at night, et cetera. And they're doing it perfectly every single time. It, yeah. I mean, it is the technology, the training, the people. It is miraculous. It, it, it amazes me every time we talk about it. Most importantly, it's the professionalism. It's mm -hmm. the professionalism of the industry. And everybody, everybody, every minute of every day talks safety. Yeah, they live it. And they live it. They live it. And because uh, their families are in the back of the bus too, right? Absolutely. Right. So anyways, look, I'm, I'm travel safely, my friend. And again, wear your seatbelt if you get in one of those dangerous cars. I, I might travel to Costco. The farthest I'm going to go is Costco. So I'm, I'm here all weekend and loving every bit of it. So it's all uh, good. Uh, but Happy uh, Thanksgiving, my friend. So, hey, look, let's talk about uh, M&A and yeah. uh, why M&A in aviation really matters. Yeah. I get asked, it's a great question, Craig. And I get asked this all the time. You know, why, why are we doing M&A? Aside from making the bankers and the lawyers rich, why are we doing all this M&A activity, right? Okay, and the private equity guys. But aside from the private equity guys, why are we doing M&A? Why, why, look, I'm trying to run a business, right? I've got, I've got supply chain problems. I got customer problems. My customer won't give me a price increase. They actually want me to look. I mean, I got things to do all day long running my company, whether it's a machine shop or MRO or an FBO. I got real problems. I don't want to talk about M&A. Why do I care? Right. Mm -hmm. And and what I say to the operating executive is who's not an owner, right? right. Not an owner. So you're never going to retire and sell your business because that's an easy conversation, Craig, right? Craig, you're going to retire at age 70, right? Do you have an exit strategy? You don't have kids in the business. You're not a public traded company. Mm -hmm. You can't sell your stock, right? How are you going to retire without selling your company? To those people, 
it, the conversation resonates. But to everyone else, it's like, look, I don't own this company, right? We're a privately held company that I don't own, or I own, you know, 3,000 shares of Raytheon. I don't need to know about this stuff. It's irrelevant mm -hmm. to me. And my, what I say is, it really does matter. It affects sales and marketing. It affects operations. And here's how I get there, okay? If you are aware of what's going on in terms of M&A and the value of your company in its supply chain and its with its customers, you can be a more competitive leader of your business. Let me let me go back. I mean, this I, I love this story, right? That and, and everybody sort of knows this, but people don't bring it to front of mind. So let me bring to front of mind a little history story, right? Bear with me while I go down a little rabbit hole. No, that's all right. We're good. So 1929, United Aircraft and Transportation Corporation is born. What is in there? Everything is in there. And most people don't actually know this, right? I'm reading my little notes here. So in there is Boeing, Pratt & Whitney. And then soon enough, you throw in there, and we're talking in the 20s and 30s, Vought, Hamilton, uh, Sikorsky, uh, Stearman, and Standard Propeller. This is all like in the 30s, okay? Right. All right. All so right. all these companies are one, and, and they soon launch United Airlines. That's where the word United of United Airlines came from. It was the United Aircraft and Transportation Corporation. So Boeing and Pratt and United were one Perfectly company. vertical, perfectly yeah. vertically integrated company. Made a lot of sense. Yeah. Right? Okay. 1934, there's a big scandal called the airmail scandal and, and justice, which is breaking up all of the antitrust stuff, goes nuts and says, United, you're breaking up. And honest to goodness, this is what the, the I wasn't alive, but this is what the history books say. Justice said everything west of the Mississippi is going to be called Boeing and everything east of the Mississippi is going to be called Pratt and Whitney. I'm not making that up. I just learned something. Okay. That's, okay. All right. So fast forward, right? So now we're in 1934 and they busted up the trust and United and Pratt and Boeing are split. And literally the stuff on the West is Boeing and stuff on the, on the, on the East is, is Pratt. Let's roll forward. Just a couple more of these. And then I want to get back to why this stuff matters to all of us. Okay. All right. All right. So 19, sorry, 1870, a couple of years before we were born, the company originally called Goodrich Toe and Company, Two and Company, became BF Goodrich. 1870, Akron, Ohio, Goodrich is born. Okay. Fast forward, 1988. Goodrich, one of the world's largest tire manufacturers, period, bar none, sells off its entire tire business, entire tire business to mm -hmm. Michelin, okay? It's left only with its aerospace and chemicals business. It spins off chemicals. By 2012, Goodrich is purely aerospace. Yep. Where's Goodrich today? UTC. It's totally bought up and gone. By UTC. Let's do one more. Last in my notes. Where, where's Goodrich today? It's called Raytheon, That's right? Because right. UTC and Raytheon merged in 2020. All right, so now, why does all this matter to me? I'm a supplier to Pratt. Why do I care? I'm busy making my components for Pratt, and they're they're a tough customer. Why do I really care that Pratt and Tepo bought or sold or whatever? Mm -hmm. Why? Because it changes the competitive strategic landscape, right? Mm -hmm. Raytheon is going to have different goals and objectives than UTC. UTC yep. is going to have different goals and objectives than Goodrich. And when Goodrich was a tire company and an aerospace company, there were different things going on because it was a conglomerate in multi-sectors, 
right? And so my comment to people that are like, I don't even worry about M&A. First of all, as a, as a player in the industry, you got to be heads up. You, you can't bury yourself in the sand and say, we got to ship 30 parts tomorrow. I'm going to ignore the world around me, right? You don't do that with interest rates. You don't do that with labor costs. Why would you ignore the competitive landscape and all the M&A activity going on there? You don't need to be an M&A pro, but don't ignore it. Yeah. Well, I think about it too. Your contracts, are your contracts still good? Some, you, you know, your supplier just got acquired by somebody else. Is your, is your contract still good? Are they going to come and start beating you up on margin? Um, what's are there, you, what's, is there going to be a new strategic motivation? Right? Is there a new strategic motivation? Are the parts you're making going to be even relevant to, I mean, it's, it's, it's monumental. I mean, yeah, it's monumental. And then, then I take it to the micro level, right? You can say to yourself, well, why do I care that Goodrich sold off chemicals? And why do I care that they sold the UTC, right? I don't care why they did it. And probably they only did it because a couple of people got rich and lawyers got richer who I right? Yeah. Well, no, right? I mean, it matters to all those jobs and the success, right? And Vought, right, which was part of Boeing, part of this massive enterprise, which became wildly successful. Vought was off on its own and struggled and has struggled, right? And it, 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 it's never become the Pratt & Whitney that it yep. maybe could have become. Why? Strategic leadership, who owned it? You just can't ignore, right? And so if you are an employee and you're at a company, I don't want to pick a name, but you're at a company being bought and sold and you don't believe in the strategic mission and 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 focus of the, of the, of the parent now, right? Mm -hmm. But you see another player that's moving in a strategic direction and making acquisitions that you think are really relevant. Well, as an employee, you should consider moving. Right. Because you you live in an ecosystem, right? Your employer is now going in a strategic direction that you don't think is right. Yeah. I mean, look, so, I look, look, I, I, yeah, I live through the good. Yeah. You know, I look at um, what, what is now Raytheon Technologies. I'm not digging Raytheon Technologies. Quite frankly, I just don't know what the hell it is anymore. You think about it's huge. It was UTC buys Goodrich. Yeah. Rockwell Collins gets thrown in the mix somewhere in there. Yes. You know, Rockwell Collins buys BE Aerospace. Yes. And then UTC Goodrich buys Rockwell Collins, and then they all get sucked up by Raytheon. And Correct. now it's called Raytheon Technologies, Look, and I'm still how, I'm still in the Rockwell Collins days. Uh, how different, and I know it's not really fair, but how different is the Raytheon model from the original United Aircraft model? It ain't that different. Okay. I mean, sort of like history repeats itself, right? Yeah. But but the issue for players in the market is why should I pay attention? You should pay attention because the strategic landscape changes every time there's a little at trans. There could be a $30 million deal done. It could change the competitive landscape, right? So we sold a company years ago that was one of the key suppliers in um, fuel-related systems. Okay. Now it's a unit of one of the big, big OEMs. Okay. It was like a $80 million deal we did. Okay. Not, not earth shaking. It wouldn't really shake the world. Right. But it was the last key piece in a complete fuel system. Right? right. And so when we were talking with the sellers and afterwards, if you look at where Parker is today, they have fuel from nose to tail. Parker has the ability to, to be on every major platform. They're not on every major platform, but they can go to an Airbus or a Boeing and say, or Bombardier or, or Falcon and say, you want a complete fuel system from Parker, we can deliver a complete fuel system. 
right? Mm -hmm. That one little deal that we did changed the competitive landscape. It was the last piece that nobody had. And so if you look at it from that perspective, you are a manager, salesperson at a, at a major OEM, mid-level OEM, and you're competing on major contracts and you're missing a piece, a strategic, competitive, technological piece, and your competitor buys that company, you're going to lose contract going forward because of what they just did. Not not on price, not Mm -hmm. because you don't make a better mousetrap, because you're missing something in the adjacencies. Yep. That's why all this M&A stuff really does matter at an operational level. Well, I remember, you know, um, so I remember talking to the senior vice president of procurement at Rolls-Royce several years ago, and I was trying to recruit her actually to NetJets. Uh-huh. And this was about the time Gulfstream announced that the G500, G600 was going to be powered by Pratt engines, PW800. Yep. And, they yep. were, and Rolls-Royce was devastated. You know, they'd had this long partnership with, you know, Rolls. Or Rolls had this long partnership with Gulfstream. Great motors. And and then that comes down to you start to you start to you, you start to peel back the onion a little bit. And there's some pressure from the C level at United Technologies that says, yeah, hey, look, we got cockpit systems, we got hydraulics, we got stuff. Oh, right. if you want all that, we want the engines too. Right. The landscape, well, the landscape changed dramatically. Look, if you look at UTC, and I'm not saying UTC is perfect, but mm-hmm. I think UTC was pretty smart in a lot that they did. Why they sold Sikorsky off. To Lockheed, I'll never understand. And God bless Lockheed for buying that wonderful company at a dirt cheap price. I've, I mean, I, I understand the oil industry was down and the sales of commercial helicopters were down. But why would you? Why would you ever let Sikorsky go? But that's a different conversation. Right. UTC has made some brilliant moves, and what UTC has done that I think is so brilliant strategically. You can argue they overpaid for this or whatever, but strategically, they put together the entire aircraft. I mean, basically, the only thing that Raytheon doesn't do today is make large structures, which, mm-hmm. by the way, Boeing doesn't make anymore. Spirit does, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, Boeing is in a tough place, and I don't want to beat them up on on our little public thing here. But, but Raytheon's been brilliant. It was UTC, and they said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to have a complete solution for everything single ATA chapter on a 121 aircraft in the world. Whether you want fuel, hydraulics, interiors, landing, you name it. You want it, we got it. In, in my humble opinion, and this is just Craig's humble opinion, the, the, the struggles you're seeing at the major OEMs are because the major OEMs bullied their supply chain. Partnership for success. That wasn't who's who's success. Yeah, who's yeah. success? Not certainly not my success. Well, yeah, come on, Craig. You yeah. don't view a six percent price reduction every year to be successful. Yeah, GE. You know, in their ballroom, they they used to brag about their ballroom bidding process, where they bring all the suppliers into hotel rooms, right. and they beat the dog snot out of them until they got what they want. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, the suppliers. Yeah, you know, they're crafty little. Your small business people are crafty little people, and they're going to figure it out. And they did. And all of a sudden, these guys beat it down to two or three suppliers. And then something like COVID comes along and totally disrupts the supply chain. And next thing you know, you as the OEM are handing your suppliers money to keep them in business. Because if they go out of business, you're completely screwed. The reason M&A, the reason you, M&A you've matters. You outsourced. And, look, right or wrong, Boeing went to an outsourced model. Okay. Yeah. You can argue that at times it was brilliant. You can argue it was went too far, but they went to an outsourced model. And so that changed the strategic landscape. 
And yeah. when they outsourced that model, its supply chain reshuffled. And there were a lot of companies that did a lot of acquisitions, Transdime, Triumph Group, pick your Heiko, name them. And you could you could make an argument that a lot of that MA activity was directly related to Boeing's decision to vertically outsource. Okay. Absolutely. It all, I mean, it really does all matter. And and my where I come back to, to MA is sure, sometimes people do MA because they got nothing better to do with their time. Seriously. Okay. And sometimes people overpay for companies in aerospace defense because they don't know what they're doing. But that's mm-hmm. true of every industry and every MA deal. The majority of MA deals that I've seen in my you know 30-year career doing this are relatively intelligent and are strategically based, and they do change the landscape. Right. I mean, Transdime didn't exist when you and I first entered this industry, literally didn't exist. Right. And it was built almost exclusively through acquisition. Yep. You can say you don't like Transdime, but it makes a lot of money and it controls a lot of market share. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and, and, and when the CEO is getting invited to Congress, who's right. accusing him, and, and he's going, Look, I'm the only, I'm your only game in town. You guys, Took your eye off the ball, Nick Howley, me, and yeah. my company. I'm the only game in town. You, you can you can hate me as much as you want, but it ain't changing the landscape, right? I love it. And so and and so you know you can argue that he went too far and that he was anti-competitive. I don't think he's had any lawsuits that were successful against him on any competitive behavior. But I'm not a lawyer and I'm not opining. I'm just saying that when you look at a major player like Boeing saying we're going to outsource. Mm-hmm. You will then see MA activity in the outsourced arena that is a strategic response to that. It's not silly. It's not, oh, someone did a deal and they overpaid. Sure, there are always a few of those. But to really, to really be successful at the operating level, you're a tier three player and you really want to grow and be successful. You got to pay attention to what's going on strategically, but the MA response is going to show up immediately and then two or three or four years later you're gonna see a huge impact so you could argue that okay covid delayed things so raytheon did their deal just entering covid right it was literally entering covid when they closed that deal Mm -hmm. but now now you could say that raytheon is in its stride two or three years to really digest and now it's the behemoth that it wanted to be and i think they're pretty powerful in our sector eras right commercial aviation we're talking right now leave military aside for the second where I think they're very successful, but you could argue Raytheon's more dominant than Boeing in the commercial aviation industry right now. Uh, 100%. Absolutely. And that, and I would argue that their success, they got great technicians and great people and great managers, and they did a lot of great acquisitions. Absolutely. They did. They don't, I mean, yeah, they, they got the interiors business, the fuels business, the engines business, the, you can't build an airplane without Raytheon. You can't build a defense system without Raytheon. Yeah, and we can go to the military side separately, but staying on the commercial side, and I'm not saying every deal they did was brilliant and they didn't overpay for some stuff, but they put together a really nice portfolio that mm-hmm. is a strategic weapon, right? Yeah. And they're going to they're gonna reap the benefits from that. And I would argue that some of what Boeing is suffering, going back to your you know partnering for success, I think Raytheon is saying almost exactly what you said. You know, it's no, I'm I I don't want to be the recipient of Boeing. You asking me for a price reduction. In fact, I want to tell you Boeing that I need to make a good margin. Mm-hmm. I think Standard Air is doing the same thing. Standard yeah, Air is out there buying up. You know, they're buying yes. up every every turbine, every every engine repair component repair shop. 
they've, you know, Ireland ranging from TRS global in Ireland to a bunch of stuff down in, you know, a bunch of small stuff down in Florida, Dallas or motive. And, and look, Car- Carlisle behind them has a lot of money, right? Yep. And you can argue they do stupid deals sometimes. Well, if you do, you know, 5,000 deals, you might have a couple that are stupid, regardless of how good you are, but Carlisle's pretty good. Yep. And they're not doing M&A transactions just to keep themselves entertained, right? Mm-hmm. They're trying to get a positive return on their investment. And you do that by great strategic moves. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying every deal that Standard's done has been great, but the idea of them creating a one-stop shop for their customers nose to tail in the business aviation market mm-hmm. with really powerful um, MRO capabilities. Like you bring me, you bring me any aircraft you want. You got a, a Gulfstream, you got a Lear, you got a Bombardier, whatever you got. I will mm-hmm. take care of your airplanes. I will take great care of you. And I've got the expertise to provide MRO on every component on any airplane you can throw at me. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you compete with that? I mean, that's going to become a major, it already is, but that's going to become Raytheon-ish, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be, who else would you go to? Right. You got a hundred million dollars of private aircraft and you want them well cared for. Of course, you're going to go to standard. Right. I mean, that's where it's getting. Yep. No, it's and, and you know, and, and, and to the point where it's almost becoming, you know, does it, it's, a, you know, does the Justice Department, you know, now does the Justice Department start breaking stuff up again? You know, well, that's going to be the I, that's going to be the next issue. And that becomes a political conversation. Right. Because you yeah. could argue that in the in the 19. 19- 20s, we had not nearly enough regulation, which led to the Great Depression, yada, yada. And you can argue that in 34, we were trust busting and we may have gone too far, right? right. I don't have a political conversation here, but but the Justice Department and its enforcement of the Sherman Act and antitrust, anti-competitive behavior does move, right, with mm-hmm. a political spectrum. Right? Sure it does. And whether we're Democrat or Republican, you get large enough and any administration is going to want to protect, protect the marketplace from that kind of behavior. Yep. And so are we approaching that with standard? I don't think so. But I mean, if they get to X percent of the marketplace, then yeah. I mean, not just justice, because standard is a global enterprise. Mm-hmm. Right? And the EU, I would argue, has tighter anti-competitive enforcement today than the U.S. does. I agree. And so they, they could get boxed out of Europe and they, don't, they can't afford to get boxed out of Europe. Well, you remember the so, old Honeywell, you remember the old Honeywell GE, you know, the you know, Jack Welch and never got there. Bossity, you know, Bossity yep. and they never got all there. killed, all killed by the EU. Exactly right. Exactly right. And who would have yep. known? I mean, who knows what the industry would have looked like if that? If that merger had taken place. Raytheon, yeah, it would have been Raytheon before Raytheon, right? Yeah, bingo. Right, right. And, and and look, I've got a I've got a good friend. We'll do a shout out to my friend John Slattery, who's executive vice president of GE Aircraft Engines, who was running um, uh, Embraer. Right. And John's a brilliant, brilliant guy. And um, you look at GE today, right? So so it's the exact opposite. And I'm not I'm not saying because GE stock price went down that conversation. I'm talking about the the amalgamation and the and the disintegration, not disintegration, but disintegration, right? Mm-hmm. And so UTC Raytheon has has brought a lot of stuff together, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at General Electric, which had washing machines and healthcare and engines, right? And you could argue that it may have had financial troubles and it had to spin off, but leave that aside. GE Aircraft Engines today is a pure play. It's yep. it's it, it's one amazingly wonderful product line, right? Mm-hmm. And so is was Pratt and Whitney better off being part of United Transport in the 1920s? Was it a better company when it was just Pratt and Whitney? 
or is it a better company now that it's part of Raytheon, right? Time will tell, right? And is GE going to be developing better engines and more laser focused on its customers and provide better service? John Slattery, I'm sure, would say, of course, because they're laser focused, right? When John goes to see a major airline, he's not selling coffee makers and landing. He is doing one thing. He's giving you a power plant, right? I agree. So you could argue, and I'm not making an argument for consolidation. I'm making an argument for paying attention to M&A. John's team believes that being laser focused is going to make their shareholders the best return and satisfy their customers better than anyone else. They uh, might be right. And for every big behemoth, look, for every big behemoth, you know, I call it the, the you know, like I get these little theories about things. It's the cinder block. You got the big cinder block, the big behemoth. But in between the cinder block is that gap where the mortar goes. And that's where the little people play. And there's always a little niche for the little people. They make a little component or they supply, they supply a, a part. They've got some expertise. They got specific expertise that keeps them there. Heiko's been buying up those people for Heiko. Know. Heiko now is, you know, Heiko was a, a small player. It's still nimble. It's Heiko's now giant. huge. Heiko's it's huge. huge. It's a it's an under and 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 if you're not, yeah, some uh, some investment guys at, at this uh some guys at Live Oak Bank were saying, Hey, we want to sit there and pick your brain on Heiko one day. I'm like, Great you want to know? They're like, is it an investment? I'm like, Yeah. It's 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 a it's a very well run company that you never yeah. you know most people outside the industry never know heard about. So it's the a great stock the, the stock price is we could have a whole podcast on the stock price of Heiko, which we're not yeah. going to do right now. Yeah. But but the Mendelssohn family that has really led that enterprise, brilliant yeah. people, and they've yeah. done phenomenally well for their shareholders. I agree. Let me ask you this: yeah. you know, you're a sell side guy. You yes, know, small business person. They're not, yeah, you know, they're they're focused in their business and they're not looking at big picture. How do they say, look, I'm gonna get out of my own head? Right. Yeah. You know, they keep you on retainer. Do they, you know, they, you know, what is so, the best way to keep abreast of the changing landscape and how it affects them? So look, we do some consulting work to help companies get ready to sell, sometimes as much as two or three years in advance, but we, we really are a one-trick pony. When, when a company is ready to be sold, we, we go on the team and we sell them, right? What I say to lots of people all the time is, look, I'll always take your phone call, right? I, you know, John Slattery calls me up and wants to chat. He's going to get my time, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, but more importantly, if a, if a small company owner who's 58 years old is thinking of retiring in seven years, I'll talk to him, mm -hmm. Right. You know, we don't need to talk all that often or all that much, but there's some things that he or she needs to be thinking about, right? And, and they are the following, okay? If you have kids in the business and you're going to you're gonna generationally keep the business in the family, tax reasons, all sorts of other reasons, that's a great thing to do, right? Uh, uh, passing a business down your, to your children is, is the American dream, okay? Uh, alternatively, right, if you're the owner, you don't really have a whole lot of ways to retire. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's not a very good idea to take the company you built and founded and work that six days a week to leave it and hope that the people there will do a good job while you're down in Florida playing golf. I can tell you tons of stories where you just don't do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Um, you know, the cat's away kind of conversation. It just doesn't work well, no matter how great your staff is, the owner is the owner. And when the owner's not present, it doesn't go well. Right. So you got to sell your business. If you're the founder and you got no one else in the business, there's no other way you're going to fund your retirement. And, mm -hmm. and dying at your desk and leaving your family to have to pick up the pieces is not very nice. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you got to sell your business. It, it, it takes two or three years to get ready. 
You don't need to put anybody on retainer. You need a good lawyer, a good accountant, and you need somebody on the phone to talk to you like me or one of my competitors and just chat with us an hour a month for the next three years. It's not that hard. The issue is you need time. For example, one little quick example. It's probably best for anybody to have audited statements. You can make an argument you can get away with reviewed, but you need audited statements. You can't do audited statements quickly. There's rules. There's gap rules that say you have to start with an audited balance sheet for the prior year to even get going. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the minimum you could do is 366 days. And that's impossible anyways. Okay. So if you want audited statements because you want to sell in a year and a half, good luck. You just missed it. You're already too late. And so it's not hard to get audited statements, but you darn well better do it two years before you want to sell your company. Quite frankly, you should do it five years before you sell. That's the issue, Craig. It's not that this stuff is rocket science or really hard to do. It's that I'm so busy and I got a customer and I'm so busy and, oh, today's the day I want to sell my company. Let's go sell. And that's just, that's not smart. I'm sorry. I get that no. call all the time, Craig. I, I hey, I, I I tell you, yeah, I, I you and I get the same calls, and you're like, well, it's kind of a process. It's not like I I have the the magic resume drawer, which you know you, you're looking for a purple squirrel. Right. Yeah, I've got one right here. Yeah, let's just right. talk about it. It's like, no, it's a, it's a little bit of a process, right? So uh, it's a big I, process. I hear you. Yeah. But you know, but that you know, but but you got a lot of small people out there, and they're they're like they they've got their two or three components they make. You know, they're qualified vendor into Raytheon or GE yep. or something like that. But then the landscape shifts on them all of a sudden. They never saw it coming. How do they keep their How do they keep their radar up and understand exactly what's happening before their very eyes? So you know, look, trees to the forest type of deal. Yeah, I mean, look, it, we we subscribe to a lot of proprietary databases that are basically calling the market for any activity that takes place, right? And so we don't, and I want to be fair about this. Private transactions are private, right? And they're non-disclosure agreements. And we don't Mm -hmm. go around trying to ask people to breach their agreements, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want people to do it to our clients. We don't want to do it to other people. Absolutely. Right. But but most of the stuff will come out because it's positive, right? People may not say I sold my company for $20 million, but they will say I merged with another great company and we're going to provide better products and services to our customers. It's it's positive, right? And so there are press releases all the time about this stuff. It may be in a little local newspaper, right? Mm-hmm. But it's available. And so we subscribe to a lot of databases and we do our own culling and searching to see what's going on in that lower market. Mm-hmm. And look, if anybody wants to just call me and say, Bill, I just want you to tell me every uh, now and then what I need to know about in my niche. Then look, I'm happy to, right? I mean, that's that's part of my process of building my pipeline. But also just pay attention, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's in the international news. When a Raytheon and a UTC merge, nobody's going to miss that if, they, if they're paying attention, right? That's right. That's right. And, and what I would, would say is don't just say, oh, there's another crazy merger. Those guys are nuts, yeah. okay? There's a reason that they did that, right? And try to understand how that actually could relate to you. So if you do a lot of work with Raytheon and Raytheon just bought something else, think about why and how it actually might matter to you. And then in your next sales call that you're making on Raytheon, you can say, hey, guys, I see you bought this. I think that relates to this. How can I help, right? Yep. Yep. Interesting. Just keeping your eye on the ball. How do people get a hold of you, Bill? Uh, email address, my initials, wa at aldermanco.com. And the phone number is the best way to get me. My mobile number, 914-414-4070.
Bill, thanks for coming. You're gonna be you're gonna be coming on more regularly now. We're gonna start talking M and A a whole lot on this podcast. I'm happy to. Look, Greg. Look, I'm yeah, looking I, forward to that. These podcasts are great. I mean, I am an avid listener of your podcast. I love the fact you come on. All right, Craig. Appreciate it very much. Wishing you a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.